Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Rob Anderson, architect and president of Field Paoli Architects. The San Francisco-based Field Paoli Architects combines its core strengths of retail design, urban design, and community design to transform these opportunities into unique projects that help communities redefine themselves. For more information, you are free to visit www.fieldpaoli.com. That's www.fieldpaoli.com. Hello, Rob. We're honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Radio Show today. Thank you, Tom. I feel very privileged to be able to join you here. Oh, the privilege is ours, really is. Uh, as we were talking before we got on the show, I love your work. Rob, if you will, can you share with us early inspirations? We like to start with early inspirations. Where, if you can recall back as far as you can, where you were inspired or are inspired to become an architect, to be in, uh, to help build a better environment, where, uh, take us back if, uh, if you're at liberty to share. Sure. I grew up in a family that was involved in the built environment in many ways from a grandfather who was actually a building inspector in early San Francisco during the the days of the the earthquake. My father was a contractor in the Bay Area and as a good contractor, he put me to work at the age of 15 on some (laughs) of his projects. And so I, you know, I always was interested in and enjoyed building. So when I went off to college, architecture was what interested me. Um, And fast forwarding to the end of my college career, I graduated in the middle of a recession and went to work with a group who was just kind of scraping together whatever work we could come up with. And we were designing things, building things, developing things. And it was just a great kind of continuation of what what I'd done as a young person. Yeah. And it's always been kind of that, that broader view of the world has always been a, an influence on how I practice. Yeah. I noticed from your website and some of the projects you've, that you've done, I'll use the word, and it's not often I do, range. 
that's something that I felt and saw that you had in the, with field paoli is is range. Is that am I inaccurate or no? That's there, that's absolutely okay. absolutely right. It's the you know we're we're about urban places and urban places are not defined by one building. It's really how uses come together. And it's uh, we're especially interested in how people use those spaces rather than what the, how they feel about the aesthetics of a place. Yeah, I love that. Urban places are not defined by one building. Share with us a little bit more about your uh, that means to you. You know, we've always had a passion for, I think, larger scale projects. And I think in the early days of the firm, we were we were always trying to convince our clients that mixed use was a good thing. And 20 years ago, we had a hard time selling anybody on that idea. Um, and I think the world has changed to where now mixed use is the way projects are getting done. It's the way the public would like to see places. It makes them walkable. It makes them interesting. And cities and developers are supporting that kind of development now. Yeah. Do you see it, obviously, in San Francisco, but in other parts of the country as well, just if you if you research what's going on? Yeah, we do. Okay. Um, I think we see as much mixed-use work outside of San Francisco as we do within San Francisco. Really? And, you know, another another interesting aspect of this is that while we think of mixed use as an urban, kind of an urban prototype, a lot of our work gotcha. happens in suburban places. And we're, we don't mm-hmm. say this to a community, but we're really trying <laughs> to urbanize a suburban place because it gives that walkable experience that I like that. like. Urbanize a non-urban place. That is yes. like... It sounds counterintuitive, <laughs> but it works. It, what is it? There, there's a there's another thing I said with range, other than just range, is there's a real human element to a lot of your work. It looks like you uh, you really cared about the people first before even the building. I mean, I don't, no insult to your work, but it looks like you really thought about the people, the community, what they value, what they will continue to value, what they may value. Is that? That's yeah. That's okay. absolutely absolutely right. Okay. Um, and I think our, that's not easy to do. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, and, and I think one of the thing that things that characterizes our work is that it's about exterior spaces, and the buildings are in our work are not really objects in space. We're creating a space, and those buildings become the setting or the backdrop that defines an exterior space. And it's that exterior space is the public place where people come together. It's, I think, the the early days of Field Paoli, we had the idea that doing retail work um, was kind of an important part of the social fabric of our community. Mm -hmm. And we were we were doing a different kind of project. None of us really wanted to do malls. So we were <laughs> okay. trying to create what is the human alternative to a two-story enclosed shopping mall? Yeah. And maybe share with us, you know, why, why, you know, that question just kind of blossoms. You know, an interesting anecdote that I think relates to the Stanford community is that we were doing work years ago, or I would say John Field, who founded the firm, was doing work at Stanford University doing housing, and the university liked what he was doing and asked him to look at the shopping center. 
And at that time, the management of the shopping center was seeing what retail development looked like outside of or in the rest of the world. And it was an enclosed mall. And so they said, well, we need we need to enclose this mall, make it two stories, cut down all the trees. And John really made he he pitched the idea that that was not a good idea. You know, why would you do that in a place so beautiful as this? And they listened to him. And it really launched our kind of that one of the strengths of our firm, which was the kind of this passion about creating outdoor spaces. Yeah, that's that is outstanding. How do you arrive at that where you actually have to or want to or desire to persuade the owner that here's a, a more favorable or better option than what they think in their mind or based on their experiences? I think it's a very hard sell, or it was, to a lot of developers who were really tied to a formula. That has changed, fortunately, and the world is looks differently on on these kinds of projects. But, you know, it's really finding those developers and owners who had the same sensibility that we did and wanted to create something different and something that had a human quality and that responded to kind of the social fabric of the place Mm -hmm. rather than the commercial fabric of how many dollars per square foot am I going to get from a chain retailer. Yeah. Segue into this is if you consider the human factor first, will it not result in the dollars flowing in? I believe it will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there have been studies, for example, on how many trees you put in, in, in a shopping center. And there's a correlation between foliage and dollars. Oh, that's outstanding. Really? I love this so much. I can't even speak. So how do you, Share that with each of your clients or so you have existing clients that you continue to work with. But how about the new ones who aren't really part of that? As you said, they don't really main, you're not aware of that they share the same sensibilities. How do you work through that if you, if you work through it? It's really difficult to work through. Okay. Um, You know, we can, we can take things so far, but typically in the past, we weren't hired to do those kinds of formula projects as much. Because people knew what what we brought to the table, and some some people are not interested in that. Ah, when you say some people are not interested in that, it, and, it kind of hurts. And I'd like you know, <laughs> but fortunately, you know, I think the world has changed, and we get getting back to this idea of mixed use development and range. What's happened in the last ten years to the retail world, you know, people call it the retail apocalypse. I don't call it an apocalypse. It's just, it's just changing. People's values are changing. I like that perspective. Yeah. And now people understand that you have to have more to these places than just a parking lot and a bunch of stores. So with that consideration, is there not a when you go around the country or even even here in the San Francisco Bay Area, do you see 
what's a, a traditional mall that you know in your mind, or at least in your mind's eye, you can envision a much more engaging, happy place for people to gather? Oh, absolutely. I think there are a lot of examples out there. Oh, no, a lot of examples, not just a couple. There are, and they may not all be changeable for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, I think there are opportunities to improve the environments of a lot of our retail properties. So when you see them, do you ever decide to approach the, uh, the owners and say, look, I, I, you know, I don't know how well you're doing or maybe you're, you're happy with what's going on, but here's kind of a vision that we see for this space as it is. Do we just take a look at it? I mean, that's being, it may be seem presumptuous, but it's, uh, can you do that or have you? Even? We, we've done it in a few instances, <laughs> okay. but I think you really need to understand a lot about the property and who owns it and how it, how it functions and these Things are not always simple. There's often a lot of a lot of institutional reasons why things change. Um, one of the interesting things that's happened is the the closing of all of the Sears store. Not all, mm-hmm. many of the well, I guess all of the Sears stores now, and how that's opened up opportunities to make some of those changes. Yeah, have you envisioned, or if you're at liberty to share with us, how you could make those a uh, an even more beautiful space? You know, it varies from place to place, and I think that's that's an important part of our work. Is we don't again, I we stay away from formulas. What what okay. works in, like in San Francisco may not work in Chicago. It may not work in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For example, we have a tremendous need for housing here, sure. and there may be an opportunity to build housing um, here where uh, another city may not have the same economic fundamentals. And in that case, you try to reuse it for a different kind of retail or you convert it into an entertainment use. Yeah. Let's go through this. Let's try this exercise, Rob. What if, let's take an existing Sears. Imagine, uh, I'm not sure where all their locations are, but if you can recall one that it exists right now that's closed down, that's nearby. What could you envision for that space that would really, really make a lot of people happy when it's completed. You don't have to, I'm just doing a hypothetical or really just, I want to actually know it's a real vision and a process of what would you do with that space and share with the audience what would you do and and let's get us excited about it. You know, I think bringing new experiences into a place is really important. If we can, and experiences could be highly programmed experiences. It could be a, you know, it could be a film venue. It could be a, um, could be a 3D virtual reality facility, you know, and it, if, if you can in certain places, for example, if it were in San Francisco and you could make it a place for, residential where there's such a need i think that's you know a great way to reuse that space probably better than creating some sort of a an entertainment destination Uh uh-huh and i don't know how many sears there are across the nation or how many there are in the san francisco bay area but doing that and creating a that mixed juice project is interest interesting let's touch back when we return you're listening to the modern architect kzsu stanford 
90.1 FM. Home First, formerly EHC Life Builders, is a leading provider of services, shelter, and housing for homeless men, women, and children in Santa Clara County. On any given night, more than 6,500 people in the county are homeless. Home First helps these people find and keep stable, long-term shelter and transitional housing. The organization also maintains the largest outreach team that regularly visits people in the streets. If you would like to help, visit www.homefirstscc.org or call 408-539-2100. We're talking today with Rob Anderson, president of Field Paoli Architects. For more information, you can visit www.fieldpaoli.com. That's www.fieldpaoli.com. Rob, we were uh, talking about what we, we... I'll help you do with the, the space that Sears is uh, vacated and you, you share with it homes, especially here in the Bay Area, I mean, probably all of California, if not the country, but at least in San Francisco and, and, and uh, California. Is there a sp- specific style or theme or would you base it on, you know, what the mall looks like, the, the demographics of the area, the geographic, the, the style of the city itself? I think it's all of the above. Oh, um, I said, you know, I, <laughs> I, I want to, we, we don't really design with a style. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I like that's, that. That's one of the yeah. real challenges we have is to come up with what is the image of this place. Quite and it, it may be that you're trying to change the image of the entire property, in which case it's something new, or you may need to blend, blend in. We did a project in, Santa Barbara years ago where we had very, very strict design controls that required the project to really look like it was a seamless part of what was built in the 1920s. Oh, see, how did you keep that integrity intact? It's, you know, it's it's difficult and it, obviously, that's, I guess, a little bit too obvious, but... Um, <laughs> You know, we we do spend a lot of time up front just really looking at what an appropriate image is for a place. And it it could relate to what's already there or it could be something that, that is supposed to stand out and, and make a, a statement. And again, I think it's really a community-based decision. Community-based decision. So you really do listen to the people. We yeah. do. We do, and I, you know, one of the th- the other I think tenets of of what I like to do when when I design is listen to a lot of voices. Um, I think that adds to the richness of these places. I mean, ideas come from our developer partners, which is why it's important to really work with people you you respect and trust and like working with. They may come from your consultants. We involve. All kinds of designers early on to, to look at landscape, look at graphics, look at color. Within the staff, I love to get ideas from the very newest members of our staff. And uh, you know, valuable insight yeah. comes from, from those people. That's great. So is there uh, that collaboration? It sounds like that's uh, as much as you're, you have, uh, you're your own firm, but you do collaborate with a lot of people that, again, like you said, you respect, you admire, you value their insight, their input, their experience. 
we we do. Is it more so now than say even four or five years ago? I, it is in some ways, you know, there's been a, I think a segmentation of our profession in that we're more often tasked only with designing a project and not carrying it through to completion. They'll find another firm who's either got more expertise in that area or, you know, frankly, is cheaper than we are. Do they have to do that? Do they have to do that? And are they at a disadvantage if they do it? I don't think they have to. Okay. And I think it's it's interesting. One of the one of the interesting things about our practice is sometimes we just do the technical side and sometimes we do the design side. So it's not as if we can't do both. There just seems to be more of a tendency in the in the profession to split things apart. Is that kind of a just a, a relinquishing of influence or it's you know by choice? I think it's a I think it's a mindset of larger organizations who are comfortable with large teams of people and you know frankly some of the some of the larger projects it may make sense just from a a manpower perspective that it takes a lot of people to do these projects you know and I think the other thing that's that's interesting about what we do in that in terms of collaboration is that we'll also collaborate with other architects and we're really comfortable doing with that doing that and getting back to the idea of more ideas in the early stages of the project is better i think it enriches the final product i love that say that again rob more ideas at more, the beginning of a project right that you can sort through okay. and evaluate and weigh helps us to create a richer end product. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Now, I'm going to go ahead and reach out and really say, make a statement or a kind of a quest, statement question is, is there not a project or a, a space that you can't improve? <laughs> you don't have to say uh, yes or no. I'm just thinking just from what I, the work I've seen, the projects that you've done, and uh, your, your mindset, and uh, that my opinion is probably not. I, you can probably always improve a space, but I mean, there are some really incredible spaces in sure. the world that I would. You wouldn't I'd want to go, I'll be that one. Yeah, I'd have a hard time. <laughs> I'm not going to redo the Spanish step. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, though, in specifically the Bay Area, as much as it has so much natural beauty and uh, so many iconic buildings and structures and establishments and facilities there's still much that is not at that level that you can still improve on yeah absolutely <laughs> i okay. think in, i think in the bay area if we just we stay could, here let's just help. stay here yeah i think okay. i think there are places that i would love to that are seen improved. what yeah. i mean seen that they're 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 visible visible is that they, whether they could be right off an opera a major opera off ramp or you can see it from a major thoroughfare. I mean, there's there's plenty there that it's visible for millions of people almost daily that if that, that structure or that space was uh, optimized, let me use for that word, optimized, it would really draw a community closer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that one of the challenges with optimizing, if I can use that word, optimizing spaces is that... There's only so much public energy to go around. 
So Interesting. Sometimes so you have to be careful not to dilute things. I think okay. that's one of the things we look at in our spaces is not to make places too big because you want people to be close to each other. You want it to feel like it's busy and active. And mm-hmm. there is, I think, one of the mistakes that's happened in San Francisco over the years, and I think it's it's become a, a problem with planning planners around the country, is that everyone wants retail space at the frontage of every walk <laughs> and every street. That's true. And yeah. there isn't enough to go around. And the result is empty storefronts and kind of a, a, a feeling of, of blight. So I think we have to be careful about how we improve things. It's not yeah. just design. It's really a much deeper planning planning issue than that. Yeah. How closely do you work with city officials, uh, city administration, city leaders to convey that before that, a pro, even before a project, just to just to, for lack of a better word, be in their space to let them know how they can optimize their space? You know, we probably should be more politically okay. active in that realm, because I know that's a, a big issue in the city right now. And there are different proposals. Yeah, aimed interesting. At, aimed at solving that, but yeah, it's a it's a very difficult problem that that affects design. Absolutely, there's I don't know who quote, who said this, but I'll find it once we get off the air. That architecture is actually politics. I don't know who said it, and and I, I hope I'm hearing it wrong, but I think I, I do recall that because it really took me back. But what's your thought on that? That it, it actually it may be. It is. It, it is. is. Okay, there we, we go. We, you know, part of our, our practice has been an urban design practice that works with public agencies in, turn, in looking at development potential and helping to craft directions for um, emerging downtowns and emerging commercial places. And it's getting the policies right is critical. Okay. I like that. Getting the policies right is critical. And if you put someone in in place to have that more politically active, I don't know if many uh, architecture firms, at least the, the many that I know of, they don't have actually someone who acts somewhat as a, for lack of a better word, lobbyist, who's just interfacing with the city, the city officials and leadership on a continuous basis to influence, positively influence initiatives that will make for a better built environment. Is, is such a... Does such an animal exist yet, Well, Rob? There's, there's Spur. Okay. And, okay. you know, Spur does a really good job, I think, of addressing planning issues. Um, I think some of the larger firms have lobbyists. A small firm like, like ours <laughs> has yeah. a hard time really addressing something <laughs> of that magnitude. Yeah. Even though, even though you're definitely a part of, a part of that, there's a number of quotes that I have. I like, I like this very much. It's a description under it uh, that I found on your website that designs breathe life into complex urban environments. Share with us that what that means for you. I, I love it, but you know, what's it, what's your meaning with it? Well, you know, it's there's a there's a richness that makes a place comfortable to be in. We can think of some bad examples. There's some bad examples like Government Center in Boston, you know, is a, a place where <laughs> I think design does not breed life into that place. <laughs> and I think it's one one of the things about 
San Francisco that is unique is the richness of the built environment. Um, some of the older, older yeah. buildings, older neighborhoods on a neighborhood scale. And I think, you know, it gets back to that idea of collaboration and bringing in different voices that work together to create something that doesn't get stale. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. The Burlingame-based Good Tidings Foundation supports the arts, education, athletics, and dreams from youth in communities of need throughout Northern California. The organization works closely with professional sports franchises and athletes, businesses, and government agencies to increase access to enriching opportunities for deserving youths. This includes ongoing projects through school districts, recreational departments, and local cities. Tax-deductible donations of any amount are always welcome. For more information, visit goodtidings.org. We're talking today with Rob Anderson, president of Field Paoli Architects. For more information, you can visit www.fieldpaoli.com. That's www.fieldpaoli.com. Rob, this is a quote from uh, David Paoli, and uh, I'd love to hear your insight more uh, about this. We were designing successful retail-driven downtown redevelopment projects long before the current mainstream Main Street trend. This goes back to the the idea that we really believed in outdoor retailing beyond the traditional Formula Mall. And the alternative to that has always been a traditional Main Street. Um, we began doing in that realm oh, probably 25 years ago. And we were really, if I can, I, I don't want to sound overly. Please sound overly anything. Yeah. <laughs> this um, is a very raw show. As much as we can keep, we try to keep it raw. Okay. We were, <laughs> we were really doing the first examples of large Main Street redevelopment in the country. Um, and I think it's projects like Santana Row down in mm -hmm. San, San Jose. That's probably the best known example. Well, we didn't do that. Before that, we were doing projects where the retail was oriented on a street, just like a downtown was, but where someone would otherwise have built an enclosed mall. And uh, we thought that was wrong. Yeah. Let's build it like yeah. a downtown. And we did the first one in Pleasant Hill, I believe, in the in the early nineties. Very just a, a, a very different point of view. And it, it became a a trend nationally in the um say between two thousand and two thousand ten. Um we actually began to work with some of the large mall developers to convert their mall prototypes into outdoor street prototypes. Oh yeah, that must be how is that for you guys to do? It's you know it's it's fun. Okay. It's I want to say it's fun because it gives you it gets back to that idea of richness. I mean we yeah. we've done projects where we said, okay, Let's design the infrastructure, but let's not even design the outside exterior walls of the retailers and let them come in and, and build it just like it's a main street that was built in the 
30s, 40s, oh, or 50s. That's awesome. And it created this. What's, what's, what's the, I can already feel the energy. It must just be like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. We, we did one in, um, in Chula Vista that um, when you walk down the street of this project, you would not know you were in a modern day retail project. And what it does for the retailers, because we got to make them happy. They're, they're <laughs> sure. the ones who are, are the reason for building this. It gives them this unique identity and they have presence that they don't have when they're in a fortress mall. Oh, you call it a fortress mall. <laughs> that word you use, presence. Share with us what that means to you as a person and as a professional. Um, you know, everything we do has a profound influence on our environment. And I think it's important that it can have a positive impact or it can have a negative impact. And we we want to we always try to encourage that kind of variety in our outdoor places, and so we encourage a presence that is unique to that business or that building or that community. If it's a community facility, that's why it's so important that our design relate to the specific geography of the place it's in because that's what contributes to that presence yeah boy that is incredibly you have to be really in tune with the people of the city or the town to be able to manifest that reality yeah and um you know we've we've done we'll do focus groups especially in in public oriented work there's a lot of work, obviously, with with the city, and we like to to focus our kind of our design conversations on on contextual quality of of the project. Um, I think what we don't do is say this is the Field Paoli project, and look who we are. <laughs> We're <laughs> not you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and that sounds like that's by design. So that's a culture. It is. Yeah, definitely cultural. Yeah, share with us your cultural, uh, your culture at Field Paoli. Um, if you if you have a description for it, yeah, I think our our culture. We try to be a horizontal organization rather than a vertical organization. We try to encourage design input from everyone. You know, it's we do not have the hierarchy of a designer who commands the troops below okay. what it will be. Sometimes the senior people have to jump in, obviously, to lead something, but, but we like to encourage that sort of collaboration, and we like to encourage collaboration, as I said, without the office, too, with our, our landscape people and our graphics people. Uh, because oh, that even is, graphics, huh? Yes, yeah, that's 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 important, yeah. and a lot of times what they bring to the table is a different point of view that will contribute and add to what I call the presence of the project. It's, again, more ideas early on, I think, 
helps us create that that great project. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a, a actually a number of people have said this about uh, it takes a lot something like a, a lot of work to make something so simple. Yes. So you're putting all those ideas in that that tremendous effort at the beginning. Right. And ultimately, you come out with something that may appear simple and happy and whole, um, but it took a lot of work to get there. It, it does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think our, our back to our culture. I think our office now is um, has a lot of really creative people who have recently graduated, and I think that's. And I don't think we're unique in this, but I think the the recent grads are adding, I think, more oh, yeah. value to the modern firm because of the their understanding of of technology and their ability to think about projects without getting bogged down in taking forty hours to draw a beautiful elevation of something. <laughs> okay, so they're actually there's both that technology and then the uh, the tactile. Yes. Element to it. How much do you draw by hand still? Um, I draw big ideas. And I'm I'm probably unique in people of my generation that I actually can use some of the computer software, okay. which I use. I do use. I find it useful. But there are times when I have to think with pencil or pen and paper. Really? You really calls for it? It does. Okay. You, you, I think you can you can work through a lot of different concepts quickly and more quickly if you don't have to put them on the computer. The computer limits you. Interesting. Okay. And you know, I I think there is a there are potential traps with computer graphics that you need to you need to make sure you don't believe everything you see. <laughs> I like that you use the word traps. Potential traps, but there's really no traps if you're using a hand to paper. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, there's no traps there. <laughs> but there is with the computer. Yeah. And computer's a great tool. A great tool. But like you said, it's one of the one of the problems we have, and it's it's on all levels, is that if it's drawn on the computer, you believe everything's figured out. Uh-huh. And then you don't really dig deeply enough to solve the underlying issues. So yeah. how do you make everyone aware of that? At least in your, in your firm? I, I think it's, it's experience. It's, I think it, it puts more burden on people who have can identify those, those kinds of fallacies okay. and problems to make sure they're, they're looking beyond the pretty picture yeah that beyond the pretty picture so you, in your mind's eye before you see a project or when you meet with um, prospective or existing clients do you see in your mind's eye while they're speaking a vision of that project and if you can share even some of your experiences how your initial vision of that project and how it ultimately um, became real I generally will get a sense of what what the big ideas are and I'll go back to the office and then I'll get out my pen and paper and try to flush out some of those large kind of what, what are the, the fundamental problems we're trying to solve. You know, one of the things about architecture is we have we're solving problems that we don't we don't really know what the problem is until we've solved it. 
I you know, it's, it's, it, it's the difficulty of design. Okay. <laughs> and I have an easier time dealing with that situation in a very kind of abstract, blobby way. I like that. When did this kind of galvanize itself with you as a profession and as a person? Because I've, I've heard from several... Um, Several uh, architects, guests, uh, even engineers, and even city leaders that they really didn't feel like they hit their stride until like their mid forties or fifties. I think that's that's right. I think part I think of it. That's right. Really. I think part of it though is that at least for me, I didn't trust myself till I was at that age. Really? So you didn't trust yourself? Yeah, I would have okay. ideas, and I would be, I think, more hesitant to. Yeah, what was the fear? Further, but just that I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> okay. I didn't have the experience. Somebody okay. else had the answer, and I didn't have it. Okay. And you know, I, I can remember there became a, a time when, okay, you know, maybe my instincts are strong, and of course, your instincts are reinforced as you practice. But I think yeah. it takes that much time, and there are, you know, there's so many aspects of what we do. <sighs> that I guess personally I felt I had to master almost everything. I needed to be able to draw. I needed to be able to understand how a detail worked. And I needed to understand how to conceptualize a 100-acre site plan. So for your own sense of your own confidence. Yes. Let's touch back on that when we return. This is the Modern Architect radio show on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Do you know that a study found... An average of three pieces of trash along every foot of Bay Area streams leading into the bay. The trash you drop in the street can end up in San Francisco Bay or the ocean where it can kill wildlife such as seals, seabirds, and turtles. Join with more than 50,000 Save the Bay supporters, advocates, and volunteers to protect our bay and make it cleaner and healthier for people and wildlife. Please visit SaveSFBay.org. We're talking today with Rob Anderson, president of Field Paoli Architects. For more information, feel free to visit www.fieldpaoli.com. That's www.fieldpaoli.com. Rob, we left off the, the confidence to make the correct decision and why it took you know, a number of years for you to reach that where you felt confident enough, even by trusting your instinct. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I think it's also a matter of reinforcing that instinct with being able to look at alternative ways of solving a problem. And I think it's important in our process that we don't, we may go to a concept, but in most cases, we like to step back and look at other ways to do something. And I think it's a intellectually important to, to do that and validate that you're on the right track. How about emotionally, too? As well? And emotionally, yeah. yeah. It just makes you feel better. Okay. Right? Yeah. okay, I didn't make the wrong, the wrong decision <laughs> okay. here. Yeah. So is it, I guess, easier now than it was, say, five, ten years ago? Or is it always I, a challenge? I think, I think what you develop over the course of your career are principles about how you believe, 
how you work and how you believe spaces should work and places should work. And you tend to, for better or worse, you tend to question those less later in your career. And so uh -huh. in some ways, I think the design, your design work becomes stronger, but it also becomes a little bit more rigid. You know, I, I think, you know, our work in the retail world, when we think about kind of looking at, for example, this Main Street prototype we talked about, okay. we were really questioning the norms. It's kind of what we did in college, right? You question authority. So let's look at other ways, even if it's a totally crazy idea. You still look at it. You still look yeah. at it because there may be a seed of something there that informs the idea that you were already going to carry on with. You know, and it's just an important part of our of our process. And I think we always need to be reminding ourselves to question things and make sure that what we're doing is really the best solution. Yeah, you know, that's not that's not a common mindset or even values, I think, in many professions that I've experienced. Another show I had is the innovators, and we have people on there who are obviously innovators in medicine, real estate, technology, whatever it is. And But there's a, there's a, there's a looking within that's not pre prevalent in a lot of other professions. Do you think that's accurate or not? Um, so? I think that's, that's accurate. You know, architects tend to be viewed as being a little bit kind of un uncontrolled by the client or the developer group. It's like, okay, that architect, now what's he thinking about? But it's it's a, a healthy thing. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And, it's healthy. And, and yeah. there's a balance that you yeah. need to, you need to balance the realities of business, our client's business and our business with that creative energy. I mean, you have to, if you're going to question something, you've got to, say, okay, I've questioned it. Now I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> but at least you've done it. You've done it. Yes. Whereas there's not a lot of professions in my experience that I've done it. So they go ahead and make that mistake and poof, right, and just live with it. And if uh, even if they know it's a mistake, they just say, uh, uh, it, it worked. It was fine. Right. And it never becomes what it could have been had they put that front end ideas and that work emotional and mental work at the beginning so that it would be certain to be a, the best decision. Yeah. And from our point of view as a firm, that's an important message to our clients and potential clients that we're going to really think things through carefully and we're going to, we're going to look at cutting edge prototypes if they, they exist and make sure we're not building something that's obsolete by the time it's completed because it takes a long time, as we know, to build these projects. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking, how far in your mind's eye are you looking? 50, 100, 200 years? I don't know if you look that far ahead. But. Well, we're, we're looking probably five to seven years ahead just to get the project open. Okay. So that's, that's a, a lot can happen in that time. Oh, yeah. And how you deal with it is, uh, it's tremendous. A touch on that, the, the walkability, the walk, the walking based lifestyle that allows people to live, work and shop in the same neighborhood. I know we've touched on it a number of times on our show, but if you can share with us even more so like where, where that value comes from. 
Well, that that value comes, you know, from I think I think there's been a, a realization in our society that having a more full life is really a, a great value, and I think there's questioning of kind of our traditional suburban ideal of driving a long way, driving a half hour to work, okay? Driving home, having your house on a cul-de-sac, not knowing your neighbors, and then having, if you need to go out for a, a carton of milk, you have to get in your car and drive there. It's not healthy. It's not socially fulfilling. And I think the world is point of view on that has changed. I don't think suburbs are really where yeah. where a lot of people want to live. There, We need to create those alternative places. And I think the fact that traffic has gotten so much more difficult, you know, it's it, our, our, the time we have available to live our lives is impacted by long commutes and longer working hours, that having a richer environment right at your doorstep is of great value, yes. desirable. Yeah, I love that the word that you use quite often in our show is the richness. At what point, if you can think back again, we're actually kind of going full circle here with the beginning is where that you found that the value of richness in a, in a, in a feeling and in a sense is so important to you, Rob. You know, I, I think, I think it's always been there. Um, I've always, in every place I've I've worked, it's been that that urban experience has been something that's that's drawn me. Probably first discovered it when I was designing affordable housing in the nineteen eighties, and uh, not at Field before Field Paoli existed. And one of my mentors, Steve Kadama, really helped me hone skills of site planning. And, and he was the first architect I work with, worked with who talked about what you're designing is the spaces between the buildings and not a collection of buildings. I like that spaces between the, the buildings because it reminds me of music is actually, it's between the notes. Yeah. And it's, I think architecture is the same yeah. thing. And um, that was how we would, how we would look at projects. It's kind of inside out. And it's, it's hard for a lot of architects to understand. Sometimes new employees who come to work for us require some kind of some more than coaching, coaching okay. about this is how this works. Don't think of your building as an object calling attention to itself. Think of it as a building that creates the urban environment. And I think a collection of those buildings creates that richness. Yeah. If I can use that word again. I, you can use it all you want, Rob. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> word. And anything else that you'd like to share, Rob, that we haven't, uh, we may not have covered in our, in our show today? You know, the, I think the thing I've really learned most in my career is that it is so important to work with people you respect and like and treat them as friends and, you know, let, 
let them express their ideas equally to the way you express yours. And it makes the whole process so much more pleasurable. And richer. And richer, <laughs> yes. And Because um, it's hard. I mean, it's a hard, hard, hard profession. And Certainly. these projects are difficult. And, you know, getting that personal satisfaction out of it is just an amazing, amazing thing. Outstanding. Rob, it's been a pleasure and an honor having you on our show today. Thank you very much. I hope you consider coming back soon. Thank you very much. It's been great. Excellent. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom DiOro. Our guest today has been Rob Anderson, president of Field Paley Architects. The San Francisco-based Field Paley Architects combines its core strengths of retail design urban design, and community design to transform these opportunities into unique projects that help communities redefine themselves. For more information, feel free to visit www.fieldpaoli.com. That's www.fieldpaoli.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, civic leader, or thought leader committed to a better built environment. Join us again next time. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California and on location in California and is a production of KZSU Stanford Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're assisted by Akshay Ayagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews with an S at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. 
we at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.